Let's pray, please. Heavenly Father, as we now open our, the Bible and literally look at those things that were written to us by those individuals that were right there on that very day, Father, we want to be very careful that we just don't see this as an ordinary story but rather as your work in history that literally has changed everything. Father, renew our sense of awe, first of you and then of what you did as we look at the text this morning. Father, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that receive, Father, may our hearts actually be open to the powerful working of your Holy Spirit right here in this room. As you go down deep inside of us, if we'll let you go there, to tinker around and make us more like Jesus Christ. Now, Father, that's our prayer, that that very supernatural thing would happen here this morning. Hear the cries of your people for that to happen, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 20 begins with these words. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. The events of that first Easter morning began quite early. In fact, you could look out to the east, maybe over towards the Mount of Olives, and maybe a little shade of gray was beginning to be seen on the horizon and could be detected, but still, the sky is jet black. That blackness is like a blanket covering over the streets of Jerusalem, laying over the top of every building, laying over the top of every home. It's actually a blackness that's over the eyes of every person as well. It's dark, which means nothing can be clearly seen. Attempting to navigate her way through that darkness is a woman. Now, it's important to appreciate that the time of day reflects the tone in her heart. Life for her has gone black because of a grieving darkness that she carries. She has experienced a deep and painful loss, and it is that loss that's driving her at this hour towards a specific destination. As she carefully weaves her way through the streets and alleyways of Jerusalem, I'm sure she's quite unaware that dawn is approaching. In other words, night is begrudgingly giving way to a new day. So as the darkness slowly recedes and dawn is about ready to come, she's unaware that dawn's about ready to happen around her. What she also doesn't realize is that something insanely wonderful is about ready to dawn on her. When we look back at the story of that very first Easter and the individuals that were there our familiarity with this story can sometimes be a danger to us. For we should be gripped by amazement on a number of different levels about the story. 
The first of which is that God has assembled here a cast of the most unlikely characters to witness the most unexpected event in all of history. And at the epicenter of all that happened on that morning was a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. Now, who is this lady? And why is she here in the spotlight? Well, her name gives us the first clue. Mary is such a common name that often to distinguish one from another, where you were from was added to the back of your name. So we have Mary Magdalene. Magdalene means she's from the town of Magdala, which is on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was a city that had a very robust economy at that time. It was well known for its dye works and its textiles. The other thing we know about Mary comes from Luke chapter 8 and the opening verses of that chapter, where early in his ministry, Jesus set this woman free from seven demons that had captivated her. From that time on, she became part of the female posse that followed Jesus all around, caring for his needs. And evidently, Mary Magdalene was wealthy enough that she was able to financially support his ministry. The other thing we know about her is that several times in the Gospels, there is a list of women who are following Jesus, and Mary Magdalene is always mentioned first, which indicates to us that she was a prominent leader among the women. The other thing we know about Mary is what happened on that first Easter weekend. On Friday, she was there for all of the six hours of the crucifixion from start until the end. And she also followed along and watched where Jesus was buried. Back to John 20. So now it's very early on this Sunday morning, and Mary Magdalene is headed towards Jesus' grave. Her grief becomes even more distressing to her as when she arrives, she sees something she did not expect. What are we told in John chapter 20? Well, when she arrived, verse 1, she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she turned and ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So what did she find? She found that this very large stone that was placed in front of the grave, sealing it shut, has been pushed back, and Jesus' body is gone. What is her assumption? Grave robbers. Her explanation to the unexpected is what often happened in that day, and that is someone soon after the burial has broken into the grave and has scavenged around, hoping to find something of value that was left in honor of the deceased. What a horrific desecration. I mean, after all that went wrong from her perspective, In the last few days, there was betrayal, there was animosity, there was injustice, there was abandonment, there was a humiliating death. Could he not even be left alone in his grave? Did someone have to violate his his final resting place? This is her darkest hour. It can't get any worse than this. 
Her sense of grief is, is overwhelming for what she has lost, and all of her hopes that she's had for years have crashed. This was the one who rescued her. This is the one who spoke the very words of life to her. This is the one who had confidence in the Heavenly Father, and that confidence became her confidence. And now it's ended all so wrong. And Mary Magdalene is confused because she doesn't understand what has happened. And her crushing grief begins to pour out in weeping. And if you have your Bibles here this morning, and you're looking at John 20 with me, starting in verse 11, notice how that word weeping is used over four times to describe the intense sobbing of her heart because someone that she loved is gone and he's never coming back. And it's right at this very moment that she discovers a second thing that she did not expect. And that second thing is so insanely wonderful because something's about ready to dawn on her. Mary looks away from the empty tomb and her tear-filled eyes see someone standing there and that individual, verse 15, asks her, Woman? Why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Now, once again, she assumes grave robbers have disturbed the grave. She wants to find a body. She wants to fix all of this. But her eyes fail her. She does not recognize that it's Jesus. But in verse 16, her ears do not fail her. It's Jesus, and he just speaks her name, Mary. And at that very moment, a personal sunrise occurs in her heart. Light comes cascading into her, and the darkness is suddenly driven away. Dawn has come to Mary Magdalene, bringing a brand new day. And the reality of the resurrection stands before her. And wonderfully, she is the first one, the first one to experience the life-changing and history-changing good news. Jesus has come back from the dead. There is resurrection. By the way, that fact that Jesus was raised back to life after dying by crucifixion, after being in a grave for three days, is the foundation for Christianity. In fact, the Apostle Paul affirms how central it is to what we hold on to so dearly when in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 17 he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. So we're given the events and the details of those events of Mary Magdalene's story on that first Easter morning, not just to build a reasonable apologetic for our faith, but also to see how her experience is our experience, and it can change our lives. Her experience of being there at the empty tomb is meant to teach us something powerful about how the reality of resurrection can dawn on any of us. 
So this morning, I would like to have all of us consider that there are three things from the story about how the reality of resurrection can dawn on our lives. First, the reality of resurrection comes to those who don't run. Look back at the story. And we notice that when Mary's grief begins to overwhelm her and she starts to uncontrollably weep, did you notice this is the second time that she's been at the tomb that morning? When she first sees that the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty, that's back up in verse 2, what does she do? She immediately runs and tells Peter and John. And what do they do? Well, they run to the tomb and she follows along. By the way, look at verse 10. After they looked and saw that the tomb was empty, then the disciples went back to their homes. Isn't that so typical of what men do? They're confronted with an, with an uneasy, awkward situation, and they probably looked at each other and said, hey, do you want to get a bagel and a cup of coffee? No, oh, sure, fine. You know, they wander off. Now remember, what is the loss that she is facing here? Her loss is incredibly intense. She has no explanation for what's going on yet. She has been caught off guard by the unexpected. And now she can't stop crying, but she stays. She has every reason to run from her pain, but she doesn't. By the way, are we loyal only when things make sense to us? Are we loyal only when everything works out as we want? How is our loyalty seen when God puzzles us, when we can't explain him, when he doesn't answer our prayers in the time frame that we want him to be answering them, or when it hurts to obey him, when it hurts to be identified him, when Psalm 60 and verse 3 is our experience, when the psalmist wrote, you, God, have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that's made us stagger. But like Mary, when we're grieving a loss, if we'll refuse to run and just hang in there, even when we would love to, to get away or to do something to feel better or have some clarity, we are then in a position to see God bring what we thought was dead back to life. And then, like Mary, we will forever be able to say to other people, I was there when it happened. I saw it within my own eyes the reality of resurrection. See, the reality of the resurrection comes to those who don't run. I mentioned there were three things I wanted to consider. What's number two? Well, there's a second way in which the Reality of resurrection can dawn on us, and that is the reality of resurrection is intensely personal. When did the resurrection become a reality for Mary Magdalene? Not when her eyes saw him, but when her ears heard him. 
Now remember, she has been in that group of women following Jesus for close to three years. Don't you think that Jesus on numerous occasions had reason to call her by her name? Mary, Mary, Mary. Yeah. Now what was the second question that was asked of her there at the tomb? Verse 15, who are you seeking? Mary is there that morning because more than anything else in the world, her heart still wants Jesus. So when he says, Mary, her heart leaps at finding the one she was seeking. See, the resurrection of Jesus from the grave is is meant to be an intimate event even today. We are to take it personally. God is still calling people by name to himself. And yes, it's been over 2,000 years. But you know what, my friends? Jesus still likes to show up when our life gets very dark. When our grief just starts to get overwhelming to us. When we're confused and we're fumbling around in the pitch blackness that surrounds us. It is at this very moment in our lives when he will call out our name. And hearing him call our name is to find what we have been searching for all of our lives. I was reminded this week, we don't sing this chorus much anymore. At least I haven't heard it here, and I haven't heard it in any church in quite a while. It's a chorus by Tommy Walker. It goes like this. I have a maker. He formed my heart. Even before time began, my life was in his hands. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and he hears me. When I call. How will we know that the reality of the resurrection has become personal? When we end up doing what Mary Magdalene did in verse 17. What did she do? She fell at his feet and grabbed hold. (laughs) That's why Jesus in verse 17 says, don't cling to me. We'll grab hold of Jesus because we realize he is what we need. The reality of the resurrection, yeah, it it comes to those who don't run. Second, it's meant to be incredibly, intimately personal. Let me give you a final one. The third thing that this day should help dawn on us, and that is the reality of the resurrection is a tremendous victory. Verse 17, Jesus says, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but you go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Notice, Mary was given the privilege of seeing Jesus alive from the dead before he had even appeared to the Father. She was the first in line of what we're told was over 500 people in the next few weeks, that got to see Jesus back alive from the dead. So Easter is that yearly reminder for us, at least once a year, though we typically remember it more often than that, 
But at least it's once a year that we are reminded death no longer has the final say. Its hold over us out of fear and dread is broken. So yes, is there dying? Sure, but for the followers of Jesus Christ, that is simply the doorway that we pass through to the fullness of life that we were created to enjoy. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 55 says about the victory over death, he says, death is swallowed up in victory because of the resurrection of Christ. So, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your staying? In other words, it's gone. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ announces more than just a victory over death. There's another victory. Look at the last part of verse 17. He says, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father That word ascending hints to us something, that for Jesus to ascend to the Father indicates his triumph over the old order of things. The dawn of that first Easter morning brought the dawning of a whole new way of life that's possible. Listen to how Paul describes it in in, um, Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 19. Paul says, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. That it's according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then he seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. In other words, not only has the power of death been broken, not only has Satan been defeated, but our Jesus is now the victor in the exalted position of having complete authority and complete control over everything. Regardless of what our eyes see around us today, Jesus is the one who is on the throne. He is the focal point now of the whole universe as everyone and everything now around bows to him. So his ascension is a victory march where our Lord has now assumed his rightful place as head over all. And the celebration of that continues in heaven even right now to this day. Listen to Revelation chapter 5 starting in verse 11. Here's the celebration that's going on. John says, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. There's been a tremendous victory that's occurred because of the resurrection. If Mary Magdalene was here today, she would tell us, based on her personal experience, of the reality of resurrection. Jesus was dead. 
And by the power of God, he was raised back to life. She saw it. She heard it. She touched him. She would say that what dawned on her that morning was that the reality of the resurrection comes to those who don't run. She would tell us how it's intensely personal, and she would also proclaim what a triumphal victory it is. I'm guessing here, but I would also say she would be really tempted to quote Psalm 30 and verse 5. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. (laughs) On this Easter morning, what's dawning on you?